Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday morning. Thank you all for joining me. Let's see, we got Bulgaria, <clears throat> Bulgaria in the in the chat, Germany in the chat, and I forget where Lush is. I think you're in Massachusetts somewhere, Connecticut. I can't remember. We have an international audience already this morning. Welcome, Turfgrass Epistemology. I'm Travis Shaddix. We're on a journey to find out what, how we know what we know about turf grass science. And we have been talking about thatch the last day or two. <clears throat> we have a brief little article we're going to go over today. And uh, we have a brief little uh, a periodical, like a website article too, we're going to go over today. Just I just happened to come across it this morning. I thought I'd bring it up. So it's going to be a, hopefully a, a very, a relatively short episode today. I've got a, uh, I don't know how many people in my house right now, but I said I would try to keep it, try to keep it down and I'll try to get this knocked out. I have a gas company turning off my gas, running gas lines. My wife's in the house. She's got to go to work. She's taking some friends to the airport. <clears throat> so all sorts of stuff going on. I almost canceled actually, but I think I can get it done. And then, um, it may just be short. But welcome you all. Thank you for joining me. Um, let's talk about the article real quick, and then I'll I'll, go, I'll get into the thatch paper. The article I came across an article that was um, I don't know about robotics, and it's on lawn and landscape. It was posted uh, yesterday, two days ago, November tenth. It was posted two thousand twenty three. It's called Gray's Robotics Launches Pre-orders. I'm in no way associated with that company. I have no idea if their, their products are good or bad, no clue. So I'm not promoting them or, and I'm not, not promoting them. I'm just, uh, talking about this particular article and it talks about pre-orders. They're trying to sell their products and everything else. And on, on the, um, <clears throat> website, they show a, a, a robotic mower that looks like more like a three gang mower. It's probably I mean, a three gang, not a three gang, like a three blade mower with a, um, a, uh, well, it, it doesn't look like a normal robotic mower. It almost looks like a tractor with a three blade, you know, part in the front that drops down and goes around. The tires are the non-pneumatic, the, the run, the run tires that don't, you can't, uh, puncture them or anything until it'll probably run for God knows how long without having to change those tires. But anyway, um, the reason I'm mentioning it is because this particular mower is one that is robotic, runs on batteries, and but it's really made for more like large areas. And the, the main problem that I, 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 as you probably know, if you don't know, I'll let you know, is that I have a robotic mower on my lawn. I've been doing um, robotic mowers for several years. I've been doing research with robotic mowers. I've published a few abstracts about robotic mowers in my, with my grad students and so forth when I was at UK. And... Whether you're a fan of robotic mowers or not, they're coming. Okay. <laughs> they're coming and they'll eventually work out all the kinks and it's going to be a part of our normal maintenance programs and our normal management practices, whether you like it or not. Um, there are some problems with the early models. They've worked out some of those kinks. There's still going to be problems with these models and it'll evolve and they'll eventually work it all out. But one of the major problems that I've ran into over the years is that the, um, small units, even the commercial grade, small units that are meant for like a lawn, you can only do about an acre, acre and a half at the most. Um, because from what I understand, it's the power that runs through the wire can only go so far. So it can only, it, it can actually mow 
probably much more area, but apparently it can only maintain a signal for a certain length of wire. And that's around of an acre and a half. I don't know if that's true. That's what I was told. Anyway, um, I kept one out on the research center here and it was gorgeous. I ran it on an acre and it was fantastic. <clears throat> I did, I had 14 units going on at one time, various different projects going on and the plots looked great. It actually maintained color far into the fall and winter greater than on a regular mower, which shocked me. I never really could figure that out, but I think it's because the blade on those robotic mowers, if it's using a razor blade, makes such a sharp cut compared to a rotary mower with a dull blade. Um, it just keeps it, keeps it nice and healthy, I guess. I don't know, but I, can have, I have aero photographs I can show you where the robotic squares in December and January are just green and the normal rot rotary mowers are, no are dormant looking. So there's value to these robotic mowers and they're coming and, and, uh, it's either one of these things where you get on, get on the bus or get left behind sort of thing. And, but the, one of the major problems I ran into is it just can't go much more than an acre. Okay. There's just not a lot, a lot, a lot of, I mean, if you're going to be mowing a, a football field or many fairways or whatever, you're going to have to have many, many units and which is not a huge issue. You could do that, but it's a fair amount of work and a fair amount of expense and so forth. And so this particular unit that they're showing here, this Gray's Robotics, I just wanted to show as an opportunity to show that they're, they are moving forward. They are progressing. And this unit can mow many, many acres. It can mow for many hours without having to recharge. So I just wanted to use it as to broach the topic of the um, progression of robotic mowers. And the article goes like this. And this is a commercial. I'm not getting paid for this. I don't have, I don't know. The company could be great or horrible. I have no idea. And the same thing with the unit, but I'm just going to read through it to give you an idea of how they're moving forward with robotics. Gray's Robotics has launched pre-orders for their flagship commercial grade robotic lawnmower. Designed with efficiency and sustainability at its core, the new mower is compact with advanced advancements to elevate the mowing experience. The new mower offers a suite of exceptional features, da, 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 da. efficiency at its peak with a 60 inch wide mowing deck and the capability of mowing 1.6 acres every hour. Now the smaller units, even the commercial grade units, um, will mow a little bit less than 1.6 acres, but that's the max area. It's not per hour. It might take a smaller unit several, I and mean, it might take them, it might take it two or three days of mowing, you know, eight or nine hours a day. But once it's cut down, those smaller units will keep it all cut down. It'll keep it nice and uniform. And it'll keep that area looking really nice with no input really at all. Um, but that's the max area. This unit will do an acre, 1.6 acres every hour. Okay. So the idea eventually, when I was first introduced to these robotic mowers ages ago, the idea would that they wanted to, uh, to follow was they wanted to be able to have the landscaper or the, the, the operator show up to fertilizer, spray the yard or whatever, drop off the mower have the mower mow the lawn and then spray the lawn and then pack it up and go. That's kind of where they wanted to go. I don't know if that's still their priority or not in the movement forward of these robotic mowers, but a mower like this wouldn't mow a home lawn, but it could, it could, the, the concept behind it or the ability of, to, to drop it off and mow at that rate, 1.5 acres an hour, um, certainly moves it into the category of being able to show up with the unit, start it, have it start mowing you're doing the trimming you're doing the weed eating you're doing the blow whatever it is spraying and that thing's doing its job too and then you pack it up and leave so eventually i think if there's still priority and they're still moving you know resources to develop those um, units in that fashion it's going to get there eventually 
And this is certainly a, an, a, a mower that for football fields or soccer fields or, um, you know, fairways that could potentially do that. Extended operating hour uh, time, uh, the mower boosts an eight hour runtime. It could, so it can run for eight hours without having to recharge. I'm not sure exactly how it recharges, but precision and adaptability. Um, I don't know about so much about that. The terrain safety and connectivity. Grace priority is safety through uh, additional mowers come with an intuitive app, real time. Okay. That's just normal stuff. And then it's from the CEO today, today marks a pivotal moment for Gray's as we introduce G3, one of the most advanced robotic systems on the market today, says Logan Fahey, CEO of Gray's. We're excited and da, 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 we believe. Um, so he just goes on and talks more about the mower. But the only reason I wanted to show that is that if, if you're just a sprayer, say just a sprayer and a fertilizer, this, this is an opportunity or it will eventually be an opportunity that potentially you could use this as an upsell or an addition to, uh, to diversify your, your business portfolio to have mowers be able to, you can drop one off. It'll mow the lawn. You can go back the next day, pick it up, drop it off at another house, mow the lawn. You know, you could potentially do that. Not maybe with that particular unit, but it's, that's the way it's moving. So keep that in mind as you see there's robotics. Oh, it's 10 grand for a mower to mow these lawns or whatever. How much does it cost for a human being you, for you to hire someone to go out and do that? Seven twenty-five an hour is the minimum, right? You're probably paying them ten dollars an hour. So just do the math real quick. I mean, that's fifteen twenty grand a year to hire someone to do that. So you got to you know figure out if that makes sense for your business or not. And if you are a business that's mowing, in particularly if you're even a um, golf course superintendent, where you have many many units, you have to you have to envision the 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 benefit or the potential potential um, advantage here is that these mowers would be mowing all night long on your golf course. That's the way I use my unit on my house. Even at the research center, I, I would have them mow at night. I would never, I never actually saw any of the mowers unless I was setting them up. I never actually saw any of the mowers running ever. I just showed up every day and it was always cut, but you can't really do that with the with the past mowers on fairways with unless you have multiple units and so with units like this or other units of other brands like this that they can set up and do an acre and a half an hour you can set it up and you can do two or three fairways in one night and then two or three fairways the next night and so they're always cut and they're running all night long when all when you guys are sleeping so to keep that in mind uh, as we move forward is that the 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 potential for you know a game-changing you know advancement in our in our industry is here or on the very ver very edge of it very verge of, of really being able to change the way in which we view and look at turf grass management with these robotic mowers okay that's all i want to talk about with that uh before i go any further tomorrow is a guest author and, and but will be on at um it's either one or two. Let me look. He's he can't come on until. Oh goodness, got it off my calendar now. I think it's one o'clock. I think he's coming on at one o'clock tomorrow. And tomorrow I have to look at my email. Um, let me look here. Well, I'll track it down, but. I believe it's one o'clock uh, tomorrow afternoon, PM Eastern time. Okay. So it's a little different time than we're used to. 
that's the only time he could come on. And we're going to do a nice little short paper that uh, tomorrow on Thatch as well. And then uh, Wednesday night at 9 p.m. will be our normal time, what we've been doing. And then on Thursday morning, it will be normal. So this week's normal except for Tuesday afternoon. Okay, let's get into the article. So we've been talking about Thatch. And uh, we've been setting up, a, the last couple of uh, papers have been sort of setting up what is Thatch, how do we measure Thatch, sort of setting the background before we move into products that influence Thatch or management practices that can influence Thatch, which we're going to get into tomorrow will be the first one tomorrow. Um, so this one, this paper here is looking at potential problems by not managing thatch okay and the title is the effect of turfgrass thatch on water infiltration rates by taylor and blake in 1982 this was published in um soil science society of america journal so a, a top one of our top journals okay so the question becomes, why are we even concerned about thatch? And I've talked about it briefly in terms of it's, um, it, once it gets so dense, once the thatch, the, what thatch is, if we don't know, it's the intermingled uh, living and dead tissue at the surface of the soil. Um, and it get, becomes so thick because it, it, uh, it consists of plant parts that are high in uh, lignin, which is very difficult for microbes to decompose. And so if the decomposers are not decomposing that tissue or they're decomposing it at a lower at a lower rate than it's being created the tissue can continue to develop and create a thick layer of turf tissue at the soil surface and because of that if it gets dense enough particularly on grasses that are extremely resistant to decay like like zoysia it can create turf quality issues one of those issues at the time in 1982 and before was thought to be water movement through that layer. Okay, you know, we're applying irrigation. Is it causing problems in terms of water moisture penetration into the soil? So that's what this paper looks at. Let's go through the introduction. It's relatively short. I'm going to read most of it. Water infiltration rate is an important property for athletic turf grass areas. So right here, and we've been going over sport. Uh, we've been going over home lawns and some golf. Well, this is a sport turf related sort of thing. There's golf on this as well and lawn care, I believe, as well. Sporting events per proceed in all types of weather, sometimes during immediate, during or immediately following rain. If excess water is not quickly removed from the soil surface, the condition of the field deteriorates rapidly and affects the quality of play, increasing stress of the plant, grass plants, and it increases the danger of compaction and puddling of soil. If you want to mess up a sport turf field, play on it after it's raining or when it's raining. You could probably, I don't know what the, you could probably play 15 games on a normal dry field. And you play one game on a wet, muddy field, and it'll do much more damage on that one game on a rainy, wet field than it would do on 15, 20, who knows how many games. It takes no time at all to destroy a sport turf field when you're playing on it when it's saturated. That will destroy a, a turf grass field real quick. And they make that point right here. A low infiltration rate can also lead to poor water use efficiency with surface runoff when irrigation or rainfall rates are greater than the infiltration rate of the soil. Some investigators have suggested that a minimum infiltration rate of two point or one inch an hour is desirable for most sport turf grass fields. Now, day, nowadays, that one inch an hour is, uh, I mean, it's fine if it's one inch an hour, it's probably not bad, but that's actually much higher. Most people will look to have an uh, infiltration rate uh, greater than an inch an hour, closer to four or five, six inches an hour. 
in, in some of these newer uh, constructed root zones. Really managing water is paramount and it's the bottom of the of the pyramid the most important uh, uh, component of turf management that we can manage is water and too much water is a big problem on sport fields or any other turf grass the water infiltration rate in an area can be dramatically affected by conditions at or near the soil surface a soil crust for example can greatly reduce the infiltration rate even if the permeability of the underlying soil is high Keen from 1969 reported that fine textured windblown dust combined with plant residue to seal the surface of golf greens in Kansas. A buildup of thatch at the soil surface has been thought to interfere with soil aeration and water infiltration. So they have a couple of citations here. Harris from 1978 suggested that a layer of thatch delays water entry into coarse textured turf grass soils due to the thatch having f- finer, finer pores than soil. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know if I've, I haven't read this Harris 78 paper, but I don't know how thatch could have finer pores than soil. That's a pretty steep claim. No, La- later research. Okay. Well, here you go. Later research, however, in- <clears throat> indicates that the pores in the thatch are large. Okay. So this Herto 1980 paper, I guess, refuted the <clears throat> 70, the 78 paper from Harris. Yeah. It'd be very difficult for me to be convinced that thatch is going to have a greater number of micropores than soil. That that's a pretty steep claim. It's going to have a greater number of macropores than than soils, unless you have a really odd soil. Consequently, any obs- any observed reduction in infiltration rate should not be attributed to pore sizes and thatch. Okay, so he clears it up. That's interesting how he mentioned that in the basically saying this guy said that somebody else said something different and refuted it and don't worry about it. <laughs> in in the introduction, a better understanding of the effects. Of the effect of thatch on water infiltration would assist in improving the management practices used to control thatch, maintain high water infiltration rates, and supply water to grass plants on sport turf areas. The objective of the study was to determine if thatch acts as a limiting factor to water infiltration rate on coarse textured sports turf soils. So for those people who are in sport turf who get, you know, uh, very little love from the scientific community because there's not a lot of, well, there is today, but not a, wasn't a lot of research on sport turf related situations. Here's one just for you. Materials and methods. <clears throat> the effect of thatch on infiltration rate was measured using laboratory. So they're going to have two studies in this. One was a lab study looking at columns and one was a field study. And I'm going to go through both of these briefly. Uh, rate was measured using laboratory packed sand columns and field turf grass plots. In the laboratory experiment, infiltration rate into sand profiles was measured in the presence and absence of thatch layer at the surface. In the field experiment, nine turf grass areas were selected and and the sustained infiltration rate was measured with the thatch and soil surface in place and with the thatch and soil surface layer removed. So sums it up basically, then he's going to go through and explain what they did. But they had, they packed sand columns and they either put thatch on it or didn't put thatch on it. And they compressed it with various amounts of pressure and then measured the movement of water through and they also did it in the field where they measured uh the movement of water through turf grass in the field and then they went in and removed the thatch layer and did it again so i'm gonna they're gonna explain briefly how they did that laboratory pack profiles consisted of sand packed into plexiglass cylinders of looks like three inches in diameter by two feet in height with a drainage outlet near the bottom 20 centimeters of gravel, so that would be um, like nine inches, I guess, something like that. Nine, nine inches of gravel were placed in the cylinder and packed. Sand was then added in two 
inch increments, <clears throat> each increment being packed with the energy of five impacts from, I'm not going to go through all that, it's just, just the logistics, but he's packing it. They're adding the sand to the columns in certain amount, in two inch increments, and they pack it, and they put a little bit more in packet. And the reason they do that is they want the density or the, the bulk density of the uh, column to be set and known. So they're, instead of just putting it all in the column and then compressing it, if they did that, the top layer of the of the soil pack column will be much more dense than the lower layer. So instead of knowing that, they attempt to avoid that by putting a little bit in and packing and a little bit in and packing, and they pack it incrementally as they move up the column, which is very common, very appropriate way to do it. Six treatments were imposed on these columns. Treatment one consisted of loose, loosening the sur surface. Okay, I'm not going to read this. I'm just going to show the show the the table up here. The table, there's treatment one, two, three, four, five, and six. So treatment five is the control. So they just packed the sand and then didn't do nothing, they didn't do anything to the top. Treatment six is they they had the sand loosened at the top and they put peat on the top of the column. Okay. So five and six are sort of the five is the control and six is like a secondary sort of I don't know why they did peat, but they just did peat. The other one, two, three, and four actually looked at thatch that they pulled from a, um, it was a tall fescue. They, the thatch on the laboratory sand profile came from a turf roof garden. Established, oh no, it was Kentucky bluegrass approximately eight years previous. So they had a Kentucky bluegrass turf for growing for eight years on a roof. Thatch had developed to a depth of approximately two inches over the entire grass area. Thatch placed on the cylindrical sand profiles was three to four centimeters thick so it was around one and one one to one and a half or one to one and a half or one and three quarters inch thick so it would say between one and two inches thick the thatch was that they pulled from a rooftop uh sward of kentucky bluegrass that had a well-developed well-developed thatch layer so that's the thatch they used to put on top of the columns so i'm gonna try to explain this real briefly treatment one and two they loose they packed the columns and they loosened the very top of the soil treatment three and four they packed the columns and they just didn't loosen the top of the soil okay that's what this loosened versus packed means they packed everything except for the very top part they loosened it a little bit on treatments one and two and then on treatment one they and two and three and four they put thatch on all those the only difference is is that they packed it in differently the thatch differently so they they either just put a weight on it of a known mass and they on treatment one they just set the weight on there and let it compress down or or treatment two they just literally kind of hammered it in there with a known uh weight they just packed it in with a certain amount of force and that's what they did on three and four as well so basically it's all packed on treatment uh on all the columns and they just loosen the top of the soil on treatment one and two and they put sod on them and they just compressed it in different ways and then treatment three and four that's all packed they didn't loosen the, the soil at the top and then they put thatch on it and compressed it in the same ways as one and two okay i'm not really sure why they came up with those exact um methodologies but that's how they did it okay um so that's how they did the laboratory study the field study is where's the field study okay the effect of thatch on infiltration weight infiltration rate was determined on nine field sites by measuring in situ infiltration rates then removing the thatch and remeasuring the infiltration rate the field turf grass areas included six golf greens one football field and turf excuse me and two turf grass roof gardens 
all of which had been constructed with soil mixtures having sand contents from 69 to 93% by weight. Okay, sustained infiltration rates were determined simultaneously in triplicate using a double ring infiltrometer. So if you've never seen a double ring infiltrometer, uh, envision like, uh, like I'm trying to think how to explain it. Envision like a, a steel, uh, a steel ring that's say six inches thick, six inches tall. And, um, and then hang on one second, hang on one second. Let me put this on mute. Okay, there's nothing I can do about the sound in the background if you hear it. I got, like I said, I got the gas people here. The plumbers are tearing up stuff down in my basement. Sorry about that. Um, okay, so basically, it's like a, a a steel ring that is six, I don't know, four, five, six inches tall, and then there's a there's an, a, another ring outside that ring that is the same height. It's just a little bit uh, it's a, the diameter is much larger. So there's a center circle that's void, and then there's a ring that's void. And what they'll do is they'll well, what we'll do is we'll apply water into the, the the middle ring, and when it over when it penetrates through that middle ring, we're able to measure the rate in which the water is flowing through, and we can maintain a known amount of uh, uh, pressure on the top of that water column. Maybe I can find a photo of it because it's kind of. Um, yeah, here's one, right? Well, that's a video. Oh, here's one. Let me see if I can pull this up so you can at least kind of know what I'm talking about. I don't know if this is going to pop up on the, um, this or not. No. I'm not sure why that didn't pop up there. Let me try, I'm not exactly the most, uh, not exactly the most dexterous. Yeah, it's not going to, not going to pop up now. Anyway, just in, just envision two rings and they can, that's how we can actually accurately penetrate the soil and know how much water penetrated the soil in, in the field. Okay. Very common. Okay. Um, the fall okay so they they measured they measured the they used the double ring filtrometer they measured the amount of water that's moving through with this with the turf and thatch on there on the on the in the so in the on top of the soil uh, in the field and then the following day the thatch layer was removed from inside the rings by slicing the grass into 20 centimeter strips and carefully removing carefully cutting each strip just below the thatch layer using an eight centimeter wide spatula Gen generally the amount removed and included the surface three to four centimeters of thatch and soil infiltration rate was again measured this time with the surface layer removed so that's how they did it in the field pretty straightforward pretty common it's not anything out of the ordinary um so kudos to them they, they did did it right so let's get into the results and discussion the results show that thatch did not restrict the flow of water into the packed sand so we're in the column study in the in the greenhouse i guess is where they put it so if you can envision a soil packed column with thatch stacked on top of it, 
And they were, and you go, well, if Thatch is, you know, Thatch, if you believe, or at the time you, you were convinced that Thatch was reducing the infiltration rate of water through the, into the, off the surface of the turf into the soil, they have a column study right here. And it says right at the beginning, the results show that Thatch did not restrict the flow of water into the packed sand. Did not. So, so <clears throat> you have to, you have to think of this as, I don't have to, but th envision like, um, maybe like an artificial turf, like a plastic turf on top of sand. If you just poured water into that, I don't know, I guess that would depend on the top way it is, but it's not necessarily, that's not going to restrict the water movement below. It's going to be the soil below it because the artificial turf in that case has the, the sizes of the pores and the water moving through it. Well, I guess it's, again, it's going to depend on the artificial turf. It's just going to go right through that. There's not going to be much restriction of that. But once it hits the soil where the restriction is going to be, because the pore size of the, in this case, thatch is much larger than the pore size of the soil. Okay. And it's just going to go right through those large pores and hit the soil. And then it's going to start penetrating the soil in a, at a different rate. If the, however, if the sand surface was packed, there was no significant difference in infiltration rate between those cylinders with or without thatch. Nor was there any, a significant difference in infiltration from packing the thatch and firming it on the surface with a dead weight. Remember, they did it two different ways. They packed the thatch in two different methods. If the sand surface was loosened before the thatch was put in place, infiltration rates were higher even when the thatch was present than where the sand surface was not scarified. So when they loosened the soil a little bit at the top, the penetration was, was greater, faster than if they didn't, regardless of whether there was thatch on or not. So the thatch didn't really have much of an impact. Okay. In the, in the lab, in the lab, we're going to show a little bit of results here in a second. Actually on that one, I can show it right now. So over here on the, um, on the laboratory study, this graph here on the left, which is what we're looking at. So those of you look, um, uh, re, uh, listening, I'm looking at a bar graph. On the x-axis, we have treatment numbers, one, two, three, four, five, and six. And on the y-axis, we have the infiltration rate of water in centimeters per hour. And you can see the sand packed with peat, so there was treatment number six, had virtually, it was extremely low, one or two centimeters per hour. So that peat being um, more, more dense and much more hydrophobic allowed very little water to move through it. It was extremely slow. Uh, but all the other sand pack columns with, uh, with thatch or this one here without thatch, you can see the influence, the actual thatch, the presence of thatch in the, in the greenhouse or the packed columns actually resulted in a little bit of an increase. We're looking at hundred centimeters per hour with the presence of thatch with loosely, loosely packed soil at the top compared to maybe 50 or 60 centimeters per hour from the control so the thatch actually resulted in a little bit of an increase in water movement from that particular treatment. And you can see it kind of goes down a little bit here and there, but most of them are very similar. Whether if it had thatch or if it didn't have thatch, for the most part, there was no, well, there was no reduction for sure. If anything, there was a little bit of an increase in water movement in the presence of thatch in the laboratory columns. Okay. Okay. I'm going to get to that in a second. So. Values of sustained infiltration rates with surface thatch present or removed are shown in figure two. So this is um, for, for each of the nine field studies. So in the field, so you, 
in the laboratory, laboratory information and, uh, and results are very valuable, but sometimes they don't exactly correlate with what we see in the field. Okay. That happens very frequently, actually. In this case, they did both. I'm going to show you what happened. We, I just showed you what happened in the laboratory. Now we're going to see what happens in the field. In, but in the field, in no case did infiltration rate increase significantly when the thatch layer was removed, thus supporting the laboratory data in showing that thatch does not limit water infiltration rate after reaching steady state infiltration. So the key word there is, the key phrase is, after reaching steady state infiltration. I'm going to show you what, what they mean by that in a second, okay? But once, this, once the infiltration becomes, movement is consistent and steady, the, the presence of thatch had no influence on that. It didn't, it didn't um, reduce the infiltration rate. At six locations removed, at six field locations, removal of the thatch layer did not significantly change infiltration. So six of the nine, there was no increase and there was no decrease. Okay. At three of the uh, locations, removal of the surface significantly decreased the measured infiltration rate. Okay, so removal of thatch redu reduced the water flow. Okay, now they go through here and they postulate as to why it shouldn't happen. Okay, removal of removal of the thatch shouldn't reduce the 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 movement of water th through the column. I mean, and, and, you know, theoretically, it shouldn't do that. They provide some postulate. They postulate as to why that could occur, and basically, they believe it's probably from an error in the methodology. Two possible reasons for this are plugging of the pores by the spatula used to remove the surface layer. That's an error. You know, it's nothing you can do about that. The second one was removal of the surface may have allowed air to be trapped in the soil pores, thus reducing both the con conducting cross section and also the hydraulic gradient due to increasing air pressure below the wetting front. So basically, it's saying. Either one of these cases, either one, the spatula put soil there that clogged it up and prevented, prevented it or it had like an airlock, basically. That's the way they said it. And that's that's what they postured. They don't they don't know that. They just said that's pos that could be why it happened. It shouldn't really happen, but that could be possibly why it happened. And I'm gonna show, let's go up here and show you what I'm talking about. So in this uh, figure here, for those listening, we're looking at the second figure here. And we're looking at a very similar uh graph as we did before we, we have infiltration rate in centimeters per hour on the y-axis from one to 100 centimeters per hour and we have the location in this case we're in the field and the locations go from one to nine and we have either the surface was present or the thatch was removed to two bar graphs so if the thatch was removed we don't see anything really happen one way or the other on six of the nine, remember? It was only treatments one, four, and seven that actually showed a reduction. So this is what they're talking about. They're talking about a site one. The reduction went from two and a half centimeters down to one and a half centimeters if you removed the thatch. In site, in site four, it went from three to two. And then in site seven, it went from 20 to six-ish, something like that. So it was both biologically and, and statistically significant. You saw a reduction and the infiltration rate you're 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 slowing the movement of water in through the soil in the field when they removed the thatch so whether or not it was actually as a result of the thatch or as a result of the methodology used to remove the thatch is irrelevant because if you went in there and you removed that thatch in the same way they did okay well, they just basically cut it off, essentially. You wouldn't do that necessarily. But if you went and cut it off, like if you're a saw producer and you harvest it off, it's possible in these three situations that you're actually going to see water movement be slowed through the soil. That's what they found. Remember, six of the nine, they found nothing. 
three of the nine they found. This is this is critical because um, oftentimes we don't show the misses, and this is extremely common in marketing and sales. They don't show the misses. They don't show everything that happened. They only show the part that they want to show you. They show you the hits, right? But in research and science, we tried our best to show you everything that happened. And in this case, they're telling you six of the nine, nothing happened. Three of the nine, it actually reduced what the, the movement of water through there. So they're, you know, they're showing you everything and then letting you provide or let or show, providing you the context and letting you understand, okay, well, it's possible if I'm a saw producer and I go strip this out, I might have some water infiltration problems. Three of the nine sites showed that, but it's six of the nine that didn't show anything. So it's more likely that nothing's going to happen. Okay. If all they showed was one site, for example, if all they showed was site seven and that's all they published, you might go, well, oh, I can't go and remove the thatch because the water's not going to go through da, da, da. Or, or if they showed just site nine, oh, nothing's going to happen. Don't worry about it. Right. This is the reason why it's critical. This is turf grass epistemology. How do we know what we know? And in this case, how do we know it's going to, it's going to reduce the, the infiltration of water? We don't know. We just know that three of the nine times it did six of the nine times it didn't. So we can kind of gauge our, we can use our, our logic to determine, okay, well, there's a pretty good chance it probably won't. Okay. But we don't know for sure it could right? As opposed to showing just one site that did or just one site that didn't, that might be convincing. It's, this is more valuable in my, my opinion, because we're showing everything. Okay. We continue. We're getting down to the very end here. Although thatch did not restrict sustained water flow in either laboratory sand columns or field turf grass areas, it did change the infiltration rate prior to reaching the sustained infiltration rate in the laboratory sand pro, um, profiles. Okay. So we just said it doesn't, didn't change anything once the water flow was sustained, but prior to that, it did prior to the water flow being sustained and consistent. So I don't know if I can get this on the screen or not. I can, let's try to slide this over just a little bit if I can. Yeah, here we go. So I'm looking at a table, table five, and the title of the table for those listening is time required for water to infiltrate into sand columns with and without thatch at the surface in the laboratory prior to establishment of steady state infiltration. Okay. So if you've ever done any water movement with like tempi cells or well, it, like little uh, soil column cells, um, you, there's a, there's a saturated water flow and there's unsaturated water flow and they're both very different. Okay. It, there's the, the physics involved behind that, which I'm not a soil physicist, but the physics behind unsaturated water flow are very different than the physics behind saturated water flow. We're talking about movement along soil colloids and soil particles uh, at the surface rather than in the macro pores and the, in between the particles, very different. And in this case, they're showing the table of what happened in terms of the amount of time to move the water through prior to the soil being saturated, essentially a saturated movement of water straight through. There's no restriction in the bottom, but the soil is saturated and the water's moving through. Okay. Prior to that, you have the time for two centimeters of water to infiltrate. So we have the first two centimeter increment, the second two centimeter increment, third and fourth and fifth and so forth. Okay. So when the sand with no thatch at the surface, so it's just the sand on the columns, we see the time for it to infiltrate the two centimeters is 0.3 minutes. The second increment was 0.8 minutes. And then it 
goes to 1.1 and 1.38 and 1. I have these color coded here for a reason. I'll show that in a minute. But when the sand with moist thatch at the surface or sand with dried thatch at the surface was placed on top of the columns, the first two centimeters went from 0.3 minutes to requiring four and a half minutes. When the, when the sand, when the, when the thatch was dried, it required six and a half minutes, basically. Okay. For the first two centimeters. When the second two centimeters was applied with moist thatch, it required one and a half inch, one and a half minutes versus two and a quarter minutes. And then after that second application of water, the two centimeters of water, so, um, so roughly, you know, uh, two inches or so. After two inches of water have been applied, and then the third two centimeters of water were applied, then you start to see the values, the time required for the water to penetrate the soil to be approximately equal to having no thatch at all, where you see 1.1 minutes versus 1.5, 1.6, 1.3 versus 1.6, 1.7, and so forth. So in other words, once the water um, penetrated the thatch and the thatch was completely moistened, and the water started to move into the soil, then it's then it was consistent. But prior to that, it took a little time for that water to moisten the thatch, to saturate the thatch, and then and then to penetrate the soil. So it's very similar to like when you have pots at your house and you've gone on vacation and all those pots have dried out and they're full of like potting mix and they're dried out. You come back, your pan, your plants are wilted. To put water in those pots, a lot of the water is going to flow right off the top of the pot or penetrate around the pot and fall out the bottom of the pot. It's not going to penetrate that peat or that soil very, very easily because it's so hydrophobic. But uh, after it's been moistened a little bit, then it's much more easy for that water to penetrate the, the peat or the potting mix in your house plants or your outside plants. It's much more easy once it's been moistened. Okay. That's the same thing that's going on here where you have a hydrophobicity effect here on, on these initial, uh, initial times of having water move through the column. Once it's been saturated, then there's no problem. Okay, the the, mo the movement of water through these columns is the exact same, regardless of whether there's peat or whether there's not peat. After the peat has been saturated, is essentially what this table's saying. Okay. Okay. Last last paragraph. The effect of thatch on the initial infiltration rate, although it lasted only for a short time period, should be taken into account in irrigation scheduling. Initially, very little water may enter the soil, but once the thatch is thoroughly wet, it will not result in a reduced rate of water infiltration into the soil. I wish they would have worded that a little bit lighter. Something like, you know, once the thatch is thoroughly wet, you know, we found no evidence that the thatch would result in reductions in water penetration or something like that. When you say it, it will not result in reduced rate, that's a little, to me, that's a little too forceful because, I mean, it won't result in a reduced rate anywhere in the world at any time for any reason. And once it's wet, it's, you know, it doesn't leave any room for our mistakes, which we know we make many of, right? So that's one concern, at least in this particular paper, that's been uh, minimized is, is the moisture, the water movement through the soil. There may be a delay and an initial runoff effect if the thatch and the, and the turf grass was allowed to dry out and then you went and started applying water there may be some water movement influence then but once the thatch is moistened the movement of water from according to this paper wouldn't be restricted as a result of the thatch 
either in the greenhouse or in the field. Okay. Um, now, having said all that, <laughs> we're going to go through thatch in the next couple of papers as well, or the next couple of weeks. And you're going to find that the thatch literature is diverse and variable, meaning some papers will show thatch doesn't really do anything. Other papers will show thatch is detrimental to turf grass quality. Some papers will show these sugars don't do anything to thatch reduction. Other papers will show they do. Okay. <clears throat> Some will show top dressing doesn't do anything. Some show well, top dressing will do something. Airification doesn't do anything. Airification sometimes reduces it. So it is a vast wasteland <laughs> of, of conflicting information. Well, not so much conflicting, but just variable information. We have to look at each and with thatch. We have to look at each location very specifically and see the variables as best we can so that we can make our best educated decision. Is that resulting in a reduction in turf grass quality or not? Right. What turf grass is the thatch being developed from? Is it zoysia grass or is it Kentucky bluegrass? Where is it? Is it in Wisconsin or is it in South Florida? Or is it in California or in Bulgaria or Germany, <laughs> wherever you guys are? Right. The environmental conditions where it is are going to greatly affect the development of thatch. How? Because in colder climates, when the where the microbes don't have the ability to reduce that uh, thatch or break it down as rapidly as it would in warmer climates, you might have a propensity or a, a greater likelihood of developing more thatch. So what might work in Dallas, Texas on thatch reduction might not work in you know West Lafayette, Indiana on, in Purdue. So it, it be, just simply because of the differences in the climates and the cold temperatures and the rainfall and the microbial activity that we need to break that thatch down. Okay, so keep that in mind as we move through here. Please don't take one paper. I can, you can do this for the most part in some of the nitrogen papers where you can take one paper and kind of it'll help guide you oftentimes. Oh, nitrogen rate should be, you know, whatever, you know, half a pound to two pounds or whatever on this turf grass. You can kind of use that wherever, sort of, right? But in thatch, you can't do that. You can't say, oh, I'm going to apply this product and it's going to reduce my thatch by 30% because this paper said so. It's it's not that simple. I can I can top dress and airify and it's if this paper said I should do it or it's this paper and identify that it's a, it's a, it's a valid management program for reducing thatch and therefore I'm going to do it in Hawaii when it was done in, you know, Washington state. Okay, so it, it is definitely, thatch is definitely a factor in turf grass management that you cannot say one size fits all. You, we have to look at the, the entire body of literature and get an understanding of what's going on so we can make the best management decision we have. And in most cases, I'll just say this from the beginning, in most cases, it's going to be a physical solution. It's going to be something physical to remove that tissue out. It's going to be the, the management plan that is the most consistent across locations and times and turf grasses. It's not going to be a product or a chemical that you can apply that's going to you know, have a beneficial impact on your location. In most cases, there are clearly cases to the contrary. But keep that in mind as we move forward. Okay, guys. Okay, tomorrow, <clears throat> it's, let's, I'm going to put it up this afternoon, the time. I'm pretty sure it's at 1 p.m. tomorrow. We have a guest. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about some of those products. So bio, there's a biological product that he did um, that uh, that he worked on and, and he published in his paper. It's a very short paper. 
about um, turf grass uh, uh, thatch management with biological products or a, a one or two biological products, if I remember correctly from his paper. Okay, guys, if there's no questions, um, thank you all for showing up. Looney, Tay Ronk. I'm not sure if I remember that name, Tay Ronk. Um, I'm sorry if I if you've been on here before and I just forgot, but uh, a couple new names I that popping up. Brady four nineteen, interesting name. <laughs> From you know Germany to Bulgaria to California to New England, wherever you're at. Thanks for showing up. I really appreciate you showing up. Now there was one thing that was that popped up on Discord as I leave you today. Um, that I didn't realize on Discord there's a there's like a musical category, and somebody mentioned something about the music that I played last time. So I'm popping in another uh, new uh, musical ending here. This is almost for sure going to get the, my, my uh, video stripped off of YouTube <laughs> because there's probably a copyright on it. But I will say this, for many, many years, I've been disappointed in the quality of rock music, but there may be hope. There is hope yet. The hope comes in the form of three ladies from Mexico. See you tomorrow. Bye.